Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Ryan Messmore, President of Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts, as our guest. Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. Today, we're so excited to have Dr. Ryan Messmore of Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts. Dr. Messmore, how are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and start with your background, if that's okay. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about, about your you know, lifetime journey and what led you to the presidency. And you know, I'll unpack that a little bit. Typically, when we ask about who are your mentors, mm-hmm. that's always a good place to start. Right. Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, mentors, uh, you know, probably fall into two categories uh, for me. Uh, m- most of my mentors have been intellectual mentors, people who have helped uh, introduce me to the, uh, the intellectual tradition writ large. Um, one category of people that I've actually met have the opportunity to to learn under and, and, and to study with. And then the second category of you know, those that I haven't met, I've, I've just been able to read about. Um, when I was at an undergraduate at Duke University, I had the, uh, the wonderful privilege of being able to uh, take a course from Alistair McIntyre, uh, who's one of the leading uh, moral ethicists um, in the world, author of uh, the book After Virtue. Um, so I got to, um, to get to know him and to get to know his way of thinking, which was very influential upon my own life. Uh, and then in graduate school at Duke, I, I became a student of Stanley Hauerwas, who was an interpreter of Alistair McIntyre. He kind of helped present uh, McIntyre to, uh, to many in the church. Um, but he, he was ranked as Time Magazine's, uh, I think, theologian of the year. There aren't many of those around, but... Um, he was very uh, influential in, in just the way that I think about uh, community, about virtue, about character. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I owe a lot. Uh, I owe a lot to him. And then, uh, when I went to do my my dissertation, um, I, I did it on a, a, a somebody who's living uh, right now, Oliver O'Donovan, um, who was at Oxford and now at Edinburgh, um, probably one of the leading, um, how would you describe it, kind of a political uh, theologian or a theological um, ethicist, um, and uh, he was uh, very influential in my own thinking. A couple of figures that I never got to meet, but but who I owe a great deal to are uh, C.S. Lewis, who I read from the time that I was a boy, um, Leslie Newbigin and uh, John Paul II. So um, a great cloud of, of witnesses, so to speak, in terms of uh, forming my own thought and, and my own way of thinking about uh, and, and living in the world. So how do you, how do you feel about uh, Coach Krzyzewski's last year? Ah, it's, uh, it's sad. Although I must say, I came out of this weekend uh, pretty jubilant. What a way to to end your final game against UNC is to, to, to beat them by 20 points in, on their home court. So, um, but I, I like John, Sh- uh, John Shire, uh, who, who's been named to, to take over. And um, I, I was telling my son the other day that I, you know, I, I have not watched a Duke basketball game while I've been alive where Coach K has not been the coach. So this will <laughs> take some getting used to, but um, he's a class act and um, he's, uh, 
he's really uh, created an institution there at Duke. Well, so talk to me a little bit about, I, I see you've got, it looks like you have your degrees behind you in your office. <laughs> That's right. Uh, is there any, in addition to those, are there any stories or any, anything you can point to that you really cherish? Yeah, I, I just feel like I've, I've, I've been able to go on a wonderful uh, journey, one that I never could have, have, have dreamed, uh, you know, growing up as a kid in Tennessee um, to, you know, to go to, to the gothic wonderland of, of Duke University and then to, uh, to go from there to, to Duke Divinity School for my first master's degree. And, and most people would end it there. And I was um, kind of crazy enough to go for a second master's degree. Just, couldn't get enough. Um, went to Cambridge uh, University in England, um, which was just a phenomenal uh, experience. I, I was newly married, no kids, no mortgage, uh, it, just this playground of England. Uh, and it was just a wonderful opportunity. Um, and then eventually went on to get my uh, doctorate at Oxford. Uh, I did that while I had two kids, a mortgage, and a full-time job in the United States. Uh, so I, I don't recommend that to anybody listening uh, to do a, a full-time uh, doctoral program on another continent uh, while you're also uh, holding down a full-time job in the States. But um, my goodness, what a, what a, what a wonderful place uh, to be and, and, and to ask big questions. Uh, I, was, I was working at uh, the Heritage Foundation um, in Washington, D.C., a think tank, and uh, I had always been interested in the intersection of, of faith and politics, and so I got, you know, I, I went from nine to five to my job in the political world, and then would come home at night and work on kind of the theological side of things, and then for six weeks at a time, I would go over to Oxford, and I, nine to five, I'd go to the Bodleian Library and, and, and read on my dissertation work, and then go home and start on work for the Heritage Foundation, so it was grueling um, for several years there, but um, it was just fantastic. It taught me how to write to different audiences. It taught me how to, uh, to bring together uh, or, or to try to bring down lofty ideas and, and to make them presentable in an understandable, concrete way. So um, yeah, uh, um, what a journey. And now I, you know, I, I'm privileged enough to be uh, within higher education, um, kind of on the other side of, of the desk, I get to to teach uh, and to serve as president, which is uh, just a, a wonderful calling. Now, did you happen to know Dr. Gregory Jones? I did, as a matter of fact. Um, I took his course in forgiveness. He, he wrote a book called Embodying Forgiveness. And I've continued to use that book uh, everywhere I teach. I, I think it's, it's a, it, it changed, it shaped the way I think about some pretty deep, uh, you know, dynamics of, of living and being married and uh, having to ask for forgiveness all the time. And um, he, he really helped me to, uh, to think clearly about that. So uh, yeah, I count, uh, I count him as a friend. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously now the president of Belmont University in Nashville. And where did you grow up in Tennessee? So I grew up in Upper East Tennessee in the Tri-Cities area. Uh, Kingsport uh, was, was the town that, that I lived in. Um, and then, you know, of course, went to uh, to college in North Carolina. So kind of the the northern part of the South or the mid-Atlantic states uh, with a little uh, um, hiatus in high school in New Jersey. So <laughs> quite different well, from Tennessee. <laughs> well, and I, and I know Tennessee and 
uh, you know, they, they love their SEC football. So probably, probably similar to how, you know, the a- ACC basketball is prevalent and is, is definitely a pretty dominant conference, if not the dominant conference. Tennessee, and maybe you got a flavor of that as well, you know, SEC country dominant football conference. Oh, my goodness. My first football game ever uh, as a child was in Neyland Stadium at the University of Tennessee, which is what, like 95,000 people or something. I think it's like the second or third largest stadium in the country. And n- nothing has ever compared. It's all been downhill since, <laughs> since then. But I tell you, I've never seen so much orange in my life. It's just crazy the, um, the amount of excitement and hoopla around Tennessee football. It's great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Magdalene. Sure. So I know, you know, Magdalene College of the Liberal Arts has changed its name three times since 2010. Uh-huh. Can you talk to us a little bit about that evolution? Yeah, that I was I was in Australia, of all places, uh, f- uh, for like 2012 to uh, 20. Um, 18. Um, so I, I was um, kind of vaguely aware of uh, the college, mainly through the past president, uh, George Harn, who I got to know uh, by serving as uh, president of a similar uh, type of school in Australia. And, um, you know, I think that uh, they were um, dealing with um, an, an, a, an accrediting agency that, that, um, that kind of closed down and they had to kind of shift over to another accrediting agency. And they took that as an opportunity uh, to look at their own identity, to look at how people uh, understood their name and resonated with their mission and, and things like that. And um, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not actually privy to all the details, but I know that, um, that we are solidly now Magdalene College of the Liberal Arts that ties into our, our founding name, uh, honoring uh, St. Mary Magdalene, the first, the first human being to ever see the resurrected Lord on, on Easter morning. Uh, we, we, that there's a, a beautiful um, image of, of stained glass in our chapel where uh, on one side at the front, you've got a stained glass image of Mary Magdalene. On the other side, you have the, the resurrected Jesus coming out of the tomb and they're both uh, kind of having this conversation in stained glass uh, across from each other. So it's a very fitting, uh, a, a very fitting identity for us. And uh, I've committed to our students and to our board that, that um, we, we are not going to change anytime soon. <laughs> so let's talk about liberal arts. Um, you know, it's, it's a very competitive market, if you will, universities and colleges and different types of modalities on campus online adult learners, traditional learners, but the liberal arts is still very important, uh, you know, as it relates to faith, community, job market, but maybe you can talk a little bit about why and how will liberal arts institutions like Magdalene um, be able to be sustainable? Right, yeah. I think that, um, you know, the the thing about a liberal arts college is, is the purpose, the telos. Why, what is education? Uh, the liberal arts uh, colleges answer that question um, in a very particular way. It's, uh, we do not view the ultimate goal of education um, as, as job training. It, it, it's, it's not to kind of um, give you a hunting license to go out and find gainful employment, although it certainly, that certainly is one of the byproducts. 
Uh, but the goal of an education in the liberal arts tradition uh, is, is to become a certain kind of person. Um, it, it's, it's to learn to love what's good and true and beautiful. Um, it's to, um, to become a, a, a lifelong learner and thus to flourish as a human being. Uh, the reason it's called the liberal arts is because it's liberating. Uh, it doesn't trap you into one career track or one way of, of thinking or one kind of knowledge. It, it opens up all, all different orders of the universe, different ways of thinking, different ways of knowing, um, so that you can go into any field you want um, and quickly learn how to succeed. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of one of my concerns, and, and this was brought to light when I was in Australia, where the liberal arts tradition is not as well known um, as it is in the United States. Uh, you know, students there are graduating from high school and they're going immediately to gra uh, graduate school, the law school, med school. They're just bypassing the four years of, of undergraduate learning. Um, such that when you are in like 10th and 11th grade, you're determining what your what your career track is going to be for the rest of your life. You're you're excluding certain courses of study. Uh, I, I think I want to be this, therefore I'll stop taking math in eleventh grade. And the, the liberal arts takes a very different approach. We we don't ask what what what's the 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 narrow route you need to take to earn money in the thing that you think you're interested in at seventeen years old. We want to say what explore the world, explore all the different ways of knowing that there are. Um, there's analytical knowing, yes. There's propositional knowing, yes. There's also poetic knowing. There's musical knowing. There's numerical, uh, logical, there, uh, physical. There's all, so many different um, dimensions of reality for us to know and different ways that our brains uh, come to know them. And so, we try to ground students um, in uh, all the different ways of knowing that there are, um, such that they can um, they can pursue um, any calling that they they feel, any interest, any passion, and they will have some grounding, some some foundation to build upon um, when they enter that. They will also be curious, creative, confident, interesting human beings. Um, they will be able to read across a wide uh, range of material. They'll be able to converse uh, about a wide range of topics. They'll be able to empathize and sympathize and, and, and know what it's like to work on a team with other human beings. Um, these are all the skills, as it turns out, that most employees are, or employers rather are looking for. Um, and the more automated our world becomes and the more that robots are, are, are doing certain tasks, the more that these human skills uh, and these human dimensions are coming into um, to high value uh, by employers who you, you just can't train a robot uh, how to do those things. And the ability for intuition and empathy and communication skills and working with people, you know, those are rising in importance um, and, and employers are looking for, for the type of education that can train that in their, their potential workforce. And, and they're actually turning to the liberal arts to produce those sorts of people. Well, and you had mentioned AI and technology and how mm -hmm. technology is really changing, uh, changing work for college kids on a campus, but it's also changing the environment, the job market. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about 
um, you know, how, how you prepare students for the change in technology and maybe expand upon a little bit what you touched upon as far as the job market and what they're looking for in, in a graduate. Right. Yeah. When, when I was um, in Australia uh, five or six years ago, um, there was a, um, a career fair and, um, and, and there was a computer company uh, who was uh, at the, at the fair and there were hundreds of students, you know, wanting to get a, a job at this lucrative uh, computer company. And um, we asked the, uh, the representative there, what do you look for um, in all of these applicants? Um, you know, how do you, what, what is it that sets them apart uh, that causes you to, to be able to single out the one or two that, that you're going to hire? And it was very interesting. He said, uh, we look for three things. Uh, have they played a team sport? Have they studied Latin? And have they played chess? And I, I thought, wow, that's it. Well, what about a prestigious computer science degree? <laughs> right. like, no, we can train them how to use our computers once they get here. We, we've got, you know, uh, orientation programs already in place for that. What we can't teach them is how to work together as a team with other people. But if they played a team sport, we think that they've got a good chance of having learned some of that. We can't teach them how to think like a coder would think. But if they've taken an inflected language like Latin, where you have to figure out the meaning of the word and how it fits in the rest of the sentence based upon its ending, they've already been trained a little bit to think like a coder needs to think. And we can't teach them how to anticipate where our competition is going to be in five years and how to get there uh, before them. But if they play chess, they've learned to think strategically. So it seems like what uh, employers are looking for today um, is students who, who can really think well, um, who can discern, who can analyze, who can think creatively, who can problem solve, who can think outside the box. And that's exactly the sort of thing that uh, the liberal arts teaches. Um, so we offer courses, you know, for example, in geometry and music. Why would we do that when we don't expect most of our students to go find a job as a, a geometer, <laughs> a mathematician, or a musician? Um, we, we teach those knowing our students. Most of them will not go into those fields. But those fields, those subjects, wire our students' brains in certain way. They prepare them for the tasks of... Um, of problem solving, of justifying arguments, of seeking harmonious solutions, um, of being in tuned to elegant uh, solutions, which, which you know, Einstein would attribute uh, to some of the leading scientific breakthroughs um, in our world. So um, you know, that, that's, that's one thing I would say is what employers are looking for. The other thing about the job market that I would say is that, um, you know, Yogi Berra had a line where he said, um, the future ain't what it used to be. Um, I tell students that, that when my parents graduated from college, the sort of future they could expect was to land their first job and then stay with that company, that same company for 40, 50 years, retire with a golden watch. And that was it. One career, one company. That was pretty standard. Uh, pretty standard expectation. That is not the future that our graduates uh, can expect uh, to engage. Uh, today, the average college graduate can expect to change jobs once every five years. 
So that's on that's about 17 different jobs over the course of, of a working career. And oftentimes they're even changing not just jobs, but actual careers three to five times. How do you so the question that colleges need to be wrestling with is how do you prepare students to enter that sort of world? Um, you can either have them specialize really quickly uh, so that their undergraduate major is in a very narrow field and it's one that they're going to look to get employment in. But then what do they do five years into their working life and, and they sense a change, they sense a, call, a, a, you know, a, a passion for something else. Another door opens and they want to walk through it. Has their undergraduate education prepared them for that? And so we're, we take more of a portfolio approach, expecting our graduates to go through life, accumulating a number of different experiences, a number of different skills. And they need to have the broadest and most flexible range of skills and ability to, um, to, to bring their knowledge to bear on the world that they can get. Um, and th so that's what we, uh, that's what we do um, in our curriculum. We also have a career pathways program that helps them to kind of land the practical plane uh, when they're out looking for jobs and internships. So let's talk a little bit about uh, community. You know, you had mentioned internships. Um, how does Magdalene today, how, how do you work with the community and how do you work with businesses and vice versa? Right. Yeah. Well, internships would be one of the primary uh, ways. We, we are located uh, in New Hampshire, kind of on the side of a, a mountain, and, and, and the view is, is absolutely spectacular over the rolling hills of New Hampshire. But we're not, we're not in a thriving metropolis. Uh, we, we are kind of um, out in the woods like a Rivendell uh, would be in, in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, but we are, with, we are within striking distance of... Um, of Concord and Manchester and Nashua and Boston. And, uh, you know, th those are thriving places uh, that offer um, internships and everything um, you could want and, and hope for. So we, we work with those communities to find opportunities to plug our students in uh, to, uh, to internships that would help them kind of discern, uh, you know, particular careers that they're looking into. Um, but we also look to engage with uh, the, the local town that we live in. Um, once a month, we, we hold a dinner for members of the community. We, we have a fish fry uh, at Magdalene College, and it's a regular opportunity for members of the community to come and to get a good meal, to interact with our students. Sometimes our students will sing or put on a performance, you know, a, a scene from the play that they're working on or something uh, so that we can help our, our community members feel like they're a part of the college experience. But then also we try to do the same. We, we are a sponsor of the town's biggest um, fair uh, in the fall, the, the Fall Foliage Festival, which brings people from all over the place uh, to experience just the beautiful uh, colors of the leaves when they change in the fall here. Um, we, we decorate the Christmas tree in town. Um, so we're, we're, we're always looking for opportunities uh, for, for the college to be engaged with, um, with, with what our neighbors are doing and for, to invite them in to experience what we're doing. So how are you able to uh, achieve such a high graduation rate? I mean, from the latest statistics, it looks like it's well above 80%, which is phenomenal for any institution. Yeah, we, uh, this is one of the, the, the ways in which Magdalene is just a different kind of institution. Um, we are very small. We're under 100 students presently. 
Um, and so, you know, if, if a student is looking, uh, you know, to have a, you know, the big football game uh, or the fraternity party or, you know, a hundred different majors to choose from, that's, uh, that's not really uh, who we are. But if a student is looking for a place where they're going to be a member of a family, a, a member of a learning community, where they, they are known personally by uh, their faculty, and when they walk out of a classroom, uh, it's not as if they're not going to see any of those people again. They're going to have class with them in an hour, and their fa the faculty member who taught them is going to have lunch with them in, in the dining hall. And when you're, when you're in that sort of a community uh, where it's kind of hard to get lost in the crowd, it's hard to, to fall through the cracks, um, then, then we know where you need help. Uh, we know what people are, are going through. We know what they're struggling with. And we can bring uh, personal relationships to bear on helping those students. Um, so we're committed uh, to getting them across the finish line. Um, we know kind of, we, you know, we're, we're about to come up on our 50th anniversary. Uh, we've helped all sorts of students uh, get across the finish line. Um, but also, uh, you know, because of our size and because of our unique uh, location and mission, uh, the students who come here are the kind of students who want to learn. Uh, they're looking for that. Um, so we, we kind of self-select students um, who know what they're getting into um, and they want uh, they want to read the great books. Uh, they want to study the liberal arts. Uh, they want to pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful. And they find themselves really at home in a community focused on that. Well, and, and you have more out-of-state students than you do in-state students. Uh, how do students find you? Or how do you find them? Yeah, that was, that was an interesting uh, statistic for me when I was applying for the job. I kind of assumed that at least half of the students would be from New Hampshire, at least the New England area. That's not the case, as, as, as you point out. We've got students from all over, you know, California and Arizona and Montana and Illinois. And um, I think that's our, uh, you know, our network of alumni um, who have experienced something different here. Uh, they are finding themselves in all different career fields and all different areas of the world. And when, when they meet people like them, families like them, uh, who are looking for that sort of formation, that sort of uh, education, uh, they say, hey, you need to check out Magdalene. And then, gosh, when they come here to visit and they see uh, the sort of, our campus is, is designed to look like a, a small New England village. Uh, and it's, you know, got the lampposts and the chapels at the center and, you know, this beautiful uh, vista overlooking the, the mountains and we have a relationship with a nearby uh, ski slope about 22 minutes away where our, our students get to ski for free and they get $10 rentals. Um, and, and so it's just once they're here and you breathe this New England air um, and it, it, it's just enchanting. Um, and, and so that um, then, you know, they they're sold. Yeah, I was talking to a colleague earlier this morning and we were reflecting on college life and we were reminding ourselves that, hey, you know, one of the big advantages of, you know, um, of, you know, going to school and being a part of, you know, of, of an institution with, as you mentioned, faculty, other students, that really community is, you know, the, the access that you have to these individuals and especially the access in many instances 
free access <laughs> to the ski slopes, to things like that. So take advantage of that while you can. Right, exactly. I mean, we have, you know, our faculty really punches above the weight for our size. Um, you know, for example, uh, Anthony Esselin, who's, you know, a leading translator of Dante. Uh, most students who have read the, the Divine Comedy in high school are probably reading his translation. He's on faculty here. And, um, you know, that means that you're not going to sit in a, a lecture theater of 200 people and hope to, um, you know, maybe have him know your name. He, he's, a, he's a teacher of uh, seminars of 15, 12, eight students, um, and he gets to know them and they get to ask questions. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity, as you say, for students who are, who are looking uh, who are wise enough at that age uh, to, to prioritize uh, that sort of experience. Um, and then they get to, to soak in it for four years, which is just wonderful. So um, the enrollment cliff is, is looming for a number of institutions. You know, if you read the works by, you know, Clayton Christensen and others, um, you know, goodness, the, the sky is falling, you know, from certain perspectives. Now, in, in, in my humble estimation, you know, I think there's a number of institutions that are faith-based that are smaller that are a lot more resilient than I think the so-called experts maybe think or have thought. And so I personally, I, yes, there, unfortunately, there are institutions that are closing and will close, but I also know that I think, I think there are far fewer than what are projected again, because of that resiliency and then oftentimes that community and that faith can you talk a little bit about that stronghold for the institution? Yeah, I mean, our, when, you, when you've, the, the thing about Magdalene College and colleges like Magdalene uh, is that the people are here because of the mission. Um, and and it's, a, it's a mission that is, is not just a, you know, it doesn't just fit with a career, it's actually a calling uh, for, our, for our faculty, for our staff. Um, we're here because we are animated by um, the possibility of getting an education here that um, has grounded, uh, you know, great thinkers for centuries, uh, and yet is, um, I, I think it's safe to say, under threat today. Um, and so you're, you're right. We're, we don't have the luxury of, you know, some of these huge endowments that that large uh, private, you know, well-known institutions have. Um, but we have um, we have the sort of uh, personal commitment to uh, a calling, uh, to serving uh, young students, uh, to um, to grappling with with the most important questions that have faced human beings in, in the history of, of, of civilization. Um, and I think that gives us uh, some staying power that uh, I, I, I think the, the uh, category of institution that's really at threat is kind of that middle level uh, institution that it's, it's you know, they, they don't have the endowment of Harvard, but they're not, they're not boutique like Magdalene. Um, and they are out competing with uh, a lot of overhead costs and, um, you know, lower enrollments. And, you know, so I, I fear for, you know, that, uh, the long-term sustainability of institutions in that category. But for small boutique um, 
institutions like Magdalene who, who are saying, you know what, we're not, we're playing in a slightly different sandbox. We are who we are and we're proud of that. And we attract faculty and staff who are committed to that. And there's enough uh, parents out there um, and students out there who value what, uh, what we're offering, don't wanna see it lost that, um, that they're making that, that same sort of commitment. Um, maybe they've been accepted at, at uh, more prestigious or well-known places, but they're coming here uh, because um, they're gonna be formed in a certain way here that, that they're not at kind of larger, uh, less personal institutions. So how do you tie in, you had mentioned alumni earlier and bringing in students from, from out of state and really just the word spreads about Magdalene and, the, and the, the special place it is. How do you make sure to engage alumni so that the alumni doesn't feel like, well, you know, I, I guess I'm, I, you know, I need to cut a check and help with fundraising. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, you know, we, we try to just link them uh, back to the for the mission and the formational experience uh, they had here. Uh, part of what it means to be a community and, and especially a Christian community is, is that, um, you know, once a member, always a member, you're, you're, you're part of that. Um, you're part of that uh, small band of brothers who, who got to, um, have an experience around a certain text or a certain tradition uh, or, you know, a certain liturgy or, or whatever it was um, to say, remember that, remember how special that was for you. Uh, remember how formative that was for you uh, when you came through and then come back and tell us about it. You know, this next year is going to be our 50th anniversary. Uh, so we have about a year and a half. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of the message that we're sending is, you know, uh, the college has gone through different phases in its history. As, as you noted, it's gone through name changes. It's gone through different uh, leadership. Um, but there's something in common that all of these students uh, went through together and, and can, can celebrate together. And so let's do that. Um, and, you know, if, if they want to help fund that, uh, of, of course, we're happy about that. But that's not the main reason uh, that we we want them. We want we want them to come back and to talk to our current students about um, you know why this ended up being valuable and how studying something as seemingly ir irrelevant as poetry or astronomy ended up helping them uh, later in life. Uh, that had had a, a real payoff in the sort of person they became and what they went on to do. So that's uh, th that's our main uh, pitch. Come home. <laughs> come home to Madden. We're a family. Uh, we're, we're a home. Uh, we want to, um, uh, to welcome people back. We've got a, a cup of coffee waiting and um, we want to hear about your experience as an alumni. So that's, um, that's what, uh, that, that, that's the current phase of, of our alumni relations that, that we are. We had a, um, our first um, reunion uh, in, in a while uh, this past fall in, in conjunction with the Fall Foliage Festival. Um, and, and we want to do more of that type of thing in the future. Where do you see Magdalene uh, College of the Liberal Arts in 10 years? Yeah, I, I want Magdalene to be known as kind of the go-to place for, um, for the distinction that the Catholic Church has made to the intellectual tradition. Um, there are uh, some areas of thought 
and exploration that, um, that we can be proud of a, a, as a Catholic institution. Where we've really helped uh, to, uh, to create a tradition of thinking. You can think about the, uh, the political, the social encyclicals uh, that, that have been produced in the Catholic Church. You can think about the music and the art and the architecture. Um, you can think about um, kind of deep thinking that has taken place in, in ethics, bioethics, medical ethics, um, teaching on family and marriage uh, and sexuality. So there's a number of different uh, contributions that the Catholic Church has made. We are, um, we are hitting it out of the park on some of them already. Uh, in five to 10 years, I would like to kind of have some intentional focus on, on each one of those areas, whether that, perhaps that could mean we, we, ought, we expand our majors and we have a major in each of those areas I just named. Perhaps we, we have a center uh, for, uh, for thought, for writing, for some sort of scholarship in those areas, um, uh, I'm not sure. But uh, you know, our short-term short short term goal is to reach uh, capacity, about 120, and then uh, to begin to build the village out, uh, to add more dorms, to add more faculty residences on our campus. You know, we have 135 acres here to work with. Um, it's a beautiful place. And um, you know, once we hit that threshold of enrollment where we can begin to, uh, to really think big, um, I don't ever wanna be bigger than you know, the number of students that the president can, can still have over to his house for dinner every two weeks, uh, which, which is what, what my wife and I do right now. We have about 20 students over every two weeks. I, I still think that's a, a crucial part of what makes Magdalene special. So I don't want to grow too big, um, but I, I think um, probably in probably four or five years, we'll start, we'll start to grow outward and add some, um, add some population to, to the campus both in terms of students and faculty. Well, excellent. Well, Dr. Mesmore, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been enjoyable. I really appreciate the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P-L-E-X uss.com forward slash solutions or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com